0: Uh, can everyone hear me out there? Doing a little mic check here. Uh, as General said, uh, my name is uh, T- T- Technical Sergeant Israel Del Toro, Jr. I go by DT. It's the name I was given to when I uh, joined the Air Force. My buddy just said, man, Israel Del Toro is too long. Let's just call you DT for short. So that's how I got DT. Uh, just give you a little, more, a little background on who I am, um, Born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, hardcore Bear fans, hardcore White Sox fans. So, for you guys, sorry. You know, uh, uh, you know. When I was younger, I lost both my parents by the age of 12. Uh, so I raised my brothers and sisters, and my grandparents raised me. Uh, from there, you know, I went to school. You know, I graduated high school, went to the University of Illinois. Uh, my first year, my grandfather had a stroke. Happily, I was there to, to catch him when he actually fell in the bathtub. I was just there on, on vacation or well, weekend. Uh, and I was about to drop uh, I was going to drop out, but my grandma told me, don't, don't drop out. So I didn't. Now, I continued on to my sophomore year. Sophomore year, my grandma gets diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, when my dad passed away, he, I was the last one to talk to him. So the last thing he ever told me was, "Oh, promise me, you always take care of your family. So that's, that has always stuck with me. So you know, once my grandma went down, when she got diagnosed, I was like, uh, you know, I'm getting out of school. I got to help her take care of my, you know, my one brother and two sisters, they were all teenagers. So imagine grandparents raising teenagers at that time. So I was the law at that time. Uh, so, you know, I, I took care of them. Uh, uh by the time they were old enough i was like i was just sitting, sitting in uh in my in my uh, living room people asked me dt was there something inspirational something magnificent that made you choose the air force i was like nah i was just sitting in my living room watching tv and i saw a commercial i said eh why not and that and a lot of my friends told me that's where all the good looking girls were at in the air force so you know and it help, also helped that my recruiter was kind of cute. So, you know, I, w- I would assign anything that she told me. So, <laughs> that's, that's my story, how I joined the Air Force. So, nothing magnificent. Uh, from there, uh, my job, was, I was originally going to be a PJ. Uh, you know, I always wanted to do something. My dad loved old, old war movies, so did my grandpa. You know, they loved Rambo. I was like, man, I want to do something like that. So, I was going to be a PJ. And then, the, in Texas. The, recruiter of the Tech peas came by and told me, dude, you can drop bombs, you can jump, you tell generals what to do, and then girls love Tech peas. I'm like, oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You know, young 22-year-old full of hormones. I was like, I'm all over that. So I switched. Uh, from there, uh, I went to my tech school, which is at Herbal Field. Great time, you know. Uh, of course, I was one of the few that was 22, so. I was able to enjoy Fort Walton Beach a little bit better than the other guys. Yeah. Didn't get caught, thank God. But uh, from there, I continued on. Uh, after I graduated, I had I went straight to uh, jump school. Uh, it was well, you had a, a trial for that. You know, out of my class, there's only three slots, so you had to do extra things like extra runs, be quicker on the runs, be quicker in navigations, and you know. Tech Peas are expert map readers. And you're talking to a city boy that lived in Chicago, never been to any forest, and his first, first night and a half, they tell you there's bears out there, there are wolves, snakes, <laughs> tigers, and it's at night. And you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I get my compass, it's at night, and I like, get my little asthma, and I hit straight. I don't stop for anything. All I have is a little knife on me. I was like, something comes out, I'm just going to stab and run. That's it. <laughs> Thank God I made it through. I was like, oh, thank God. But you know, I graduated, went to uh, you know, I got to go to airborne school, that was pretty fun. Uh you know, went there with uh my best friend at the time. He we, we went through basic and tech school together. We went, you know, we've been together since then. Uh graduated that. Then I went to uh Fairchild, uh State Survival School up there. Uh it was pretty fun. I had uh we were we had a real small class. Usually they say it's like 15, you know, 15 per element. You know, we only had five. And one was this, you know, crusty old reservist major. He, I swear he was like 100 years old. And I'm, I'm like, sir, what are you doing here? I was like, what do you do? I'm a chaplain. And I was like, then why do you got you in here, sir? I was like, I don't know. I must have made somebody mad. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, the chaplain got hurt, so. Then I became the leader, and the, a lot of the instructors knew what peas did, so I had this one troop that was, you know, he was a life support guy, and he, you know, grew up in, in, in Chicago. You know, you know, if you're walking on snow, you don't put all your weight on the snow because you're just going to fall right through. This guy didn't know how to do that, so he just stepped through and tumbled, you know, and got up and cursed every single word you can imagine. So I to and I was like, dude, just relax. We'll make it through. Uh, but the good thing about it, you know, we were so small elements, we had two rabbits. You know, you got to skin them and eat them. Well, tech peas were kind of uh, what do say? We're not riding the head, you know. You know, I skinned my rabbit and I stuck my fingers in its ear holes and made it like a little puppet. And they're like, dude, what's wrong with you? I was like, we're in the forest, we're bored. You know, got to be entertained. Uh, well, you know, that was one of, you know, I had a good time. Then, of course, you get captured, you know, they did t- the whole P.L.W. thing, and they stuck me in a box. I'm like, sweet, I'm sleeping, You know, I hadn't slept in a while, I'm just, there's other guys screaming, and I was like, what's this guy yelling about, man? You should get comfortable and sleep. And then, of course, they will like, they'll interrogate you, they're like, all right, tell me what you know, or, you know, you ha- you'll have females in your element, and they'll know, they'll call them wenches, you know, that's their word in the P.L.W. It's like, if you don't tell them we're going to beat the wenches, I'm like, go ahead. They knew what they were getting into. I was like, go ahead, beat them. And no skin off my back. But, uh, you know, I made a lot of good friends, you know. Of course, they tell you don't show up with any of your TACP gear, any coins or anything. Well, one of my dumb friends, he has his coin on and his TACP shirt on. And me and my best friend, Jeff, are right next to him. And all of a sudden we hear, ding, 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 his coin fall out. they're like, oh, Tech P, where else? Where is tag P here? And my buddy sells us out. It's like, these two right next to me. I'm like, dude. Uh, you know, graduated. I got to my first assignment, Goes through the Pope Air Force Base. A lot of people call it No Hope Pope. Uh, I, it was, I was there, but I was mostly assigned with the Army guys up at Fort Bragg, right next to it. You know, Pope now is going to become like, you know, Army, you know, Pope Army Airfield, so because of BRAC. But I was there for six years. In those six years, I became uh, Jump Master qualified, uh, got, got all my, a lot of my jumps there. went to aerosol school, and I went to another survival school uh, there for the Special Forces, for the Army guys, and it was nothing like Fairchild. They make you sign a waiver because by the end, of the, at the end of your little tour, your jaw's just hurting because they just beat the hell out of you. You're like, oh, dude. It's like, I just said I wanted more milk, and you beat me for that. But, you know, I made it through. That was a pretty cool time. Uh, and from there, you know, I, was, I always wanted to push myself. I wanted to do something, you know. Become a JTAC it usually takes about three years and I always pushed myself because I wanted to be, be able to control aircraft. You know, I, wanted to, you know, I always was, had to be the helper for the JTAC. You know, I always had to watch them drop the bombs, and I wanted to be the guy to actually drop them. So I pushed myself. I competed in competitions. Tech piece, we used to have a worldwide competition called Lightning Challenge, where Tech Peas from all the world compete in teams and get together at Fort Walton Beach and compete for the, you know, best team out there. And I did it as an A1C, and so did uh, my partner. And we made it through it. We got through the regional. We won a couple awards, and we got to, you know, the, up to the main thing up at uh, Lightning Challenge. And as seniors, we won sixth place out of 46 teams. So that kind of propelled me to get, get pushed in front of other guys that were there longer than me. So I became a JTAC in 2000. Uh, 2000, that's when I got sent off to my first uh, deployment, which uh, was Bosnia. Uh, Bosnia was really more of a getaway, you know. Uh, all we did was work out and, you know, have fun. That's really play volleyball. So, you know, I still had a mission, though. You know, I, there's an SF team out there, so I would go out with them, you know, outside of Tuzla and talk to, you know, the mayors and people out there, see what's going on. So I still had a mission. But most of the time, it was just working out. Uh, at that time, I met a lot of good friends. Uh, actually, one of them's here right now, and she actually flew down from Philly to just hear me. She just found out what happened to me. so she was all... She saw me and nearly choked me when she was hugging me. I was like, oh, slow down, I can't breathe, burnt skin, help. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you, know, that is, you know, that was pretty cool. But after that, you know, I came home, that's what not. You know, later on that year, that's when 9/11 kicked off. You know, of course, I couldn't go because I just gotten back from Bosnia. So a lot of my friends went. And of course, what do they do? Is all they're doing is just bragging when they come back. Dude, we dropped bombs here. We dropped bombs here. We did everything. I'm like, shut up, dude. I want to hear it. That's like, don't talk to me. I don't want to hear anything. I'll get my chance. Uh, and I did. Uh, my f- truly, first chance that I I credit. You know, under my belt is when Iraq kicked off. I was there uh, in January, right bef- before it even kicked off. I was there for two months, you know, living and e- eating with the army there, there at uh, Kuwait International Airport. Uh, our first mission was supposed to be jumping into Biop, which, if you know what Biop is, it was Baghdad International. Well, the intel that we got was that they had so many any aircraft missiles on, you know, the airport, that the first, you know, five planes would have just been destroyed. Guess what plane I was in? I was number two. So I was like, dude, I don't want no one let's not do that. Well army, army like, dude, we gotta do it, we gotta jump in. We know we're, we're airborne. I'm like I was like, exactly. I was like, man, you're not smart, dude. <laughs> so thank God, you know that 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 uh, mission got scratched. You know they actually listened to the intel. You know, which is actually just guesswork, you know. Intel, you know, I think they're going to be there. I'm not sure, but they might be there. But uh, our Lexus, uh, uh mission was was uh, we were going to fly to Talil. It was going to be about seven uh, C-130s with two vehicles each and 20 men. Uh, we took off. I was in the first plane. Uh, unfortunately, only one plane was able to land, and that was mine. Due to so much. Uh, Artillery and anti-aircraft uh, missiles. So I got, we got to land. So two vehicles and 20 guys, and we had to wait for the, the rest of the 82nd to drive up. And that was pretty cool. Cause I teased them like, dude, I thought you guys jumped out, you drove up to the battle, <laughs> and then they don't like that a lot. But uh, no, I got a lot of good Army friends. You know, I just like te- you know, tease them a little. But you know, that entire time, you know, it took them about three days to get up there, so, you know, I was the only JTAC, so it was non-stop battles. Uh, close calls, a couple of times, you know, I thought we weren't going to make it, but God bless those eight times, I love those things, you know, they came down and saved our butts many times. Uh, after that, when the, when the rest of the chairborne, I like to tell them, because they never got airborne, so they were in their car, Chairborne drove up, <laughs> you know. As we had another mission. We were going to go push up north up to Assamwa. That was our next big battle. Uh, it was a, about a week-long battle. Uh, the BATH party members controlled the north side and we controlled the south. It was all divided by a river. So our entire goal was to get across this river. Uh, uh, there was one time when I actually thought we were going to make it. Uh, I was out with my team. Uh, we were traveling at night because we were trying to get behind a you know, bad guys. Well, there's another company of you know, Army guys on the other side. They thought we were the bad guys. and said they're shooting at us. Well, I'm trying to get on the radio and say, hey, hey, stop, stop, stop. We're friendly. So they're like, pop flares, pop flares. I'm like, if we pop flares, now the enemy's going to know where we're at. And we're trying to get behind them. You know, well, unfortunately, we had to because, you know, the Army guys just didn't believe us that we were friendlies. So, I had, a, you know, we had to pop flares. And, well, what happens? They stop. Bad guys start shooting at us, I'm like, great. So, well, we made it out there. Uh, my buddy actually had a control aircraft for that to save our butts. Uh, well, my, my best one was uh, I had two A-10s come in. You know, the Army members were using taxis to resupply and reorganize re- uh, their troops. And at first we couldn't do anything, you know, hold the whole NATO, you know, respect everybody's place, you know, can't do anything junk but don't tell him I said that but you know so we finally got permission dude you can blow those things up I was like sweet so you know my commander gets up and he's like DT get some A-10s in here and blow every taxi you see up there I'm like sweet So <laughs> well, I get on the mic I call in, I got two A-10s and I tell him any vehicle you see on that road is a liable target it's a live target and all they do is like for 10 minutes straight with gun runs and now I got army guys popping up and trying to take pitch. I'm like, "Dude, get there! You're gonna get your head blown off!" But it was just the greatest. Time. I was like, Brr. "I was like, sweet." I was like, "If I had a beer, it would have be been the best time." But uh, that's where I got one of my. That's where I got my bronze from those two battles. Uh, I really don't talk about non-medals, you know. That's not me, you know. I've been there, done that. You know, I don't have to talk about that. Uh, after that, uh, we got caught home because. Uh, At the same time, uh, my troop actually trained. He had been there about maybe six, six, seven months at our squadron. He was in Afghanistan, and he actually got killed. And he knew he was my troop, and a lot of uh, other of us were friends with him. So they flew us back, which was like in May. And that was probably the hardest thing I ever had to do was uh, bury my own, own friend, my own troop. Uh, so you can imagine, you know, all these muscle heads, you know, trying to keep a dry eye in their blues and Arlington. You know, it, it was it was real hard. That was probably the hardest thing. Uh, a- after that, you know, I thought I was going to have some time, you know, just chill, relax. By that time, you know, the old ball and chain finally got me and I got married and had a kid. So, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Think I'm my wife in here because, man, I'll be sleeping on the couch right now. <laughs> but, uh. Uh, I thought I was going to have time to, you know, finally relax, you know, hang out with my wife, hang out with my kid. Well, I get ordered to Korea. I was like, oh, great. So I tell, honey, you got to go to Colorado with your sister, and I got to go to Korea for a year. So we did that. I went to Korea. That was my true first experience of Air Force life. Like I said, tech peas live a lot with the Army. You know, it's rarely where you see them on Air Force bases. Uh, When I got there, I was assigned to the 25th Fighter Squadron as a bailout trainer, which stands for Battalion Air Liaison Officer. Uh, Like the general said, you know, I teach them how to tactics, you know, really just talk army, you know. So I make them get a little dumber, you know. No, I'm just kidding, (laughs) I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. You know, a lot of good army friends, you know, just joking. But, uh, you know, I teach them, so really, you know, Tech P's really don't have dedicated officers. You know, we get them two years at a time, we get the bailiffs. Uh So, you know, we teach them to stick up, you know, don't let the Army guys push them around because they see young little, you know, butter bars, you know. The taco commander is going to wind up, yeah, whatever, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, we teach them to stand up for themselves. They don't let these guys push you around. Don't let us, don't let your Tech P troops get stuck doing kitchen duty when, you know, there's only two of us and we can't be doing that stuff. But I had a good time. You know, I got there, that was my first true experiences. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys out here were ex-fighter pilots sir. But my first true naming, you know. I remember being at a bar, at the squadron bar. And then next day, I'm in my room. No idea how I got there. <laughs> Last thing I remember was drinking a bottle of Jack with this other pilot. And now telling, holding up another guy up on the fridge so he wouldn't fall. And then I wake up in my room, was like, Okay, my clothes are on, no money's missing, I'm good. I was like, Juicy Girl didn't get me this time. But, uh, (laughs) but, you know, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I had a good time. Uh, From there, I finally got my dream assignment. Uh, My dream assignment was Italy. Unfortunately, I was married, so it wasn't really a dream assignment. But, you know, it was was good enough. (laughs) But when I got there, my buddies tell me, dude, you're going to deploy. I was like, all right. I, you know, when? In six months. Okay, how long? Six months. Boy, I'm totally going to be divorced. I wife's going to just kick my ass. Excuse me if I swear. I'm sorry. I apologize. So I had a plan. I was like, I know how to tell my wife and not get in trouble. So, you know, she's a big Catholic. You know, she, wanted, she always wanted to meet Pope John Paul. So I was like, cool, I'll take her to meet Pope John Paul. <laughs> what happens? The dude dies on me. I was like, come on, God, why, why? So my next plan is like, I'll I'll take her to the funeral. She'll get to see the funeral. What happens? There are so many people there, they shut down Rome. No more trains. I was like, I'm totally going to be divorced. So I went to my last plan. I'll take her in June, you know, show her a good time and tell her there. Because that's what I did. As we're walking through the ruins, I tell her, honey, it's like, what? I got something to tell you. like, what? I'm deploying six months to Afghanistan. You know. She's like, "What?" I'm deploying to Afghanistan for six months, and I love you. And of course, she couldn't say anything because I'm surrounded by people, so she didn't want to make a scene. So, and besides, we're in Rome for five days, so what can she say? You know, I wind her and dined her, and then gave her the bad news. You know. uh, at that, you know, I I deployed to Afghanistan uh, early er late August, early September. When I got there, uh, I was the only JTAC, which stands for Joint Terminal Tech Controller, uh, to support two companies, a uh, scout team, and we had an SF team that was there that didn't have a JTAC, so they would take me if they needed me. So if you guys don't know how the Army works, when comp- one company's out, the stays in. Well being the only JTEC, I was out all the time. you know all I have is, you know two days to resupply, and I'm out again. So before I got hurt, I had already been out in over 30 missions, and all of them were all assault. you know all assault. and and you know my whole thing was, you know if I'm going to get deployed again, I'd rather go to Afghanistan because I know you know at least if I die, I'll be in a firefight, I won't get blown up in a humvee. What happens to me, I get blown in a Humvee, the irony of that. I was like, God, why, God, why you punish me? It wasn't bad enough you had to kill off Pope John Paul so my wife couldn't see him. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, you know I, I got, they did my missions. Uh, the mission that I got hurt on, it was just after Thanksgiving we got the orders. Uh, they tell us, you know, we got to go just north of Kabul in the mountains, the Taliban's using the supply, or this route as the main supply route. And there is a high-value target, uh, a high-value Taliban leader. So our mission was to go out, to destroy the supply route, and try and capture or kill this uh, Taliban leader. So we get out there, uh, we get air assaulted in. We have you know they drop Humvees for us and motorcycles, and uh, the first couple of days you know we're going out searching and all this, and our interpreter, he had a radio and he kept hearing the and saying, we can see the Americans leave their compound and coming back in. So what these guys are doing, they were getting up early in the morning, come up on these mountains and watch us. So, you know, I, we had this young lieutenant, you know, God bless him, he's a great guy, but if you ever seen We Were Soldiers, the movie, remember that lieutenant that ran, trying to run glory? He's likely like him. Never been in a firefight, never been into anything, so always wanted, to you know, get itchy to get into anything something. You know, this guy was so crazy, he stood right next to an IED and said, take a picture. I'm like, I'm not taking a picture. You take a picture. You know, you, that thing blows up. You blow up with it. I'm not going to be with you. But uh, uh, so his plan was, you know what, we're going to split the scout team in two. Uh, one half is going to go up on the mountain in the afternoon, stay up there overnight, and the other team, my team, is going to stay overwatch. So that's what we did for a couple of days. Uh, nothing really happened. Uh, nothing, you know. We can really, you know, a- attack, you know. Uh, you know, of that. Of course, that time it was, you know, overnight. It was two hours up, one hour sleep. Two hours up, one hour sleep. Just rotating out with three man, three man team. <coughs> uh, so it was a couple of days. Nothing happened. So my the lieutenant said, "Hey, let's go hit the town, search to see if anything's going on." Uh, so we did. We hit the town, nothing, and then the young P.L. sees uh, a guy up the mountain and he just jumps in the Humvee and takes you know says, D.T., come on, come with me, and tells the other two guys to get in the other Humvee and follow us, and he takes off. He's trying to get behind this mountain, to sneak up on this guy, and we actually do. We get behind the mountain, and he points at me and the interpreter. He's like, D.T., I want you to come with me, and I want the interpreter to come. I'm like, okay, so you want me to come with you? You're a brand new lieutenant, never seen him in action, and you want an interpreter that has no weapon? It's like, yeah. It's like, oh boy, I'm going to die up here. It's like, okay, sir, so let's go. So there we go, we're hiking up this mountain. And we actually get behind him, literally right behind him, uh, just a, like 100 meters up above him. And you know, I'm an expert marksman, I had the scope, and I told him, hey, sir, you want me to shoot him? I got, I got him eyes on. It's like, no, no, no. I want to capture them, I'm like, and I'm thinking in my head, sir, you don't know these people. They're like goats out there. They could be in flip-flops, and they run up these mountains like goats. They're like, bing, bing, bing. I was like, whoa. Well, by the time we got to this guy, he's gone. He he saw us, and he took off. By this time, our second half of the team that was up on the mountain starts radioing, hey, uh, we, we're running low on supplies, and we need help. Uh, or come resupply us, you know, so we can continue on with the mission. So we do that. Uh, we just finished eating lunch, our, my side, and we're on our way to go meet the other guys. And that's where I take, sometimes Taylor switch a lot towards the younger uh, enlisted and officers. I, you know, I let them know, you know, be aware of your surroundings. You know, if your job is to watch that right side or left side of the Humvee or left side or right side of the road and the patrol, do it. You know, don't be reading a book. Don't be falling asleep. Don't be playing a crossword puzzle because... Yeah, you may, be, you may be Air Force, you may be Army, he may be Marines, you may be Navy, but when you're all out there, you're all brothers. doesn't matter what, what what kind of branch, you're all U.S. military out there. So you watch out for each other. So, you know, if you're not doing your job, you're not just screwing yourself, you're screwing your buddy. So, you know, I always did that. And I tell them, be aware. Be aware of your surroundings, you know, what's going on, what's up in the mountains, what's, what are you crossing and all that. And And, and I always did that. And as we're going back to meet up with the second half the team, we cross this creek and no more than 200 meters after we cross the creek, and that's when I feel this enti- heat blast all on my left side, and I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to die. It's like, um, I, and people say, you think of your your life flash in front of you, and it's true. I thought of my, my little boy, I thought of my wife, I thought of the trips that I was supposed to take them after we get back from Afghanistan. You know, we we're going to go to Europe. Uh, and it all flashed in my head. But it was just instinct for me to get out of the Humvee. And like I said, I was aware I wasn't sleeping. You know, I wasn't playing the puzzle. I knew there was a creek right behind me. I was like, I just got to get to it, and I'll be okay. Then uh, unfortunately, I was covered from head to toe. I was like a Christmas tree, just lit on fire. So I collapsed, and, and I thought I was going to die there. Uh, I literally did. I was like, my God, I'm going to die. I'm never going to see my wife again. I'm never going to see my little boy. I'm not going to be able to teach my boy how to be a pimp. (laughs) I got (laughs) you. You're all serious. (laughs) Uh, I always do that. Um, I can never be serious. I did think, you know, I did think I was going to die, and I must have yelled out that I was going to die, because that's when uh, the lieutenant yells out, no, you're not DT. And throw some dirt on me and helps me get up. And we both jump into the creek. And the same sound, what I heard was the same sound when you put a hot pan in water. That sizzle sound. And I'm laying there, and I look at the lieutenant. I'm like, sir? He's like, yeah? That sucked. And he's like, are you being funny, DT? He's like, no, dude, I just got blown up, and I was on fire, and it sucked. And I don't know why I said that, but I said that. I just looked at him and said, That sucked. But my mission didn't stop there because uh, it was a planned ambush. Because as soon as we got hit, my second half of my team that was up on the mountain got caught in a crossfire. So I was the JTAC. I was the only fire support they had. So unfortunately, you know, I just got blown up a Humvee. My radios were destroyed. Uh, the backup radios were in the, other, in the Humvee that got destroyed. So all I was able to do was get an embedder from an Army guy. And again, this is where I tailor with a lot of uh, young troops. You know, before you deploy, you get these spins, SOPs. They tell you a lot of information, a lot of code words, things that just in case might happen, you, you, you're prepared. Like if you have to transmit in the red, which means not secure, and get aircraft in, and so they know who you are, you got these code words. So, you know, I did read them. So I was able to do that, and I had the Army guy do it because, you know, my fingers were hurting by that time. And so they, he was doing the switching, and he was able to get aircraft, and they came back, hey, tell Gunslinger 3-2, he has 2 A 8-10s and Harriers. well they, That was my call They're like, Gunslinger 3-2s hit. So my buddy from Fob Lagman had to control the, uh, the aircraft through UAV. Uh, by that time, you my body was shutting down. You know, I was a certified EMT besides being in the military. On the civilian side, I volunteered. And, you know, I just got blown up. Uh, I jumped in a freezing cold creek in the middle of December in the mountains in Afghanistan. You know, I knew my body shutting down. And I told these guys, like, dude, you know, I'm tired. I just want to go to bed. And, you know, most likely, if you fall asleep out there, you're not going to wake up. And again, you know, this is where the whole family thing comes. When you're out there with your buddies, you have downtime to talk to your buddies, you know, about your family, your wives, your mistresses, whatever you have, you know, whatever floats your boat. But, you know, they know everything about you, you know, just to keep you keep you up. And they try that. They're like, DT, you got to fight, you got to fight. I'm like, man, I just want to sleep. They're like, you know, you got to fight for your wife. And I'm like, you got to try harder than that. That's not going to work, dude. <laughs> but, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't say that. I can't thank God my wife ain't here because, you know, I wouldn't be. Probably wouldn't be married anymore. <laughs> but they were like, fight for your son, fight for your son. I was like, okay, I'll fight for my son, I'll fight for our son. And God's honest truth, I'm not joking about this one. My friend, and I even asked him, he came to visit me later on, you know, in the hospital. He tells me, fight for your son, she can be a pimp. And I'm in my head, I'm laying there. And did he just say what he just said? And, and he says it again, fight for your son, You can be a pimp. Okay, I fight for my son so I can be a pimp. Yell it. I fight for my son so I can be a pimp. And he makes me do it like five times. And I, it's just baffling my head. It's like, and I asked him, dude, why'd you say that? I oh, don't know, man, that was the first thing that popped in my head. I was <laughs> like, well, it worked, you kept me up. And you know, I ain't going go this bed. So, you know, they kept me up. Uh, the, air, the, the helicopter came in. I got on it. Uh, I remember the flight. I remember landing. I remember getting into the the, the little makeshift ambulance, and I remember arriving in the little uh, makeshift hospital, field hospital we had there at Lagman. And I remember seeing all my Army buddies that was back at the FOB and the rest of my Air Force Tech P team that was there. And I I remember the doctor cutting off my watch, and the last thing I remember is her telling me, you're going to be okay. And that was December 4th of '05. I wake up March of 06 in San Antonio. Uh, so four months, I had no idea what happened. And it was weird. It's so weird not knowing what happened in four months. And, and I try to remember, sometimes I'm not sure if it's a memory because I was hallucinating big time too. They gave me some good drugs. I was hallucinating entire weekends. And then, you know, nurses got so used to me hallucinating, they will say, DT, you're hallucinating. And it was like a, like you were hearing God in the background. And I'm like, what? You're hallucinating, DT. And I closed my eyes. And I'm like, dude, I was in Hooters, and you just woke me up, and I'm here in the hospital. Uh, but no, it really hit it. I had just dreams like that. It was crazy. I had some dreams that I thought I was back in Afghanistan doing my mission. But but those those four months when I was out, you know, my family always didn't like the military, you know, my first, after my first enlistment, my family on my dad's side tried to buy me out, you know, uh, my family on my dad's side is quite well off, and they're like, just don't resign, you know, come work in the company, you don't have to do anything, you'll be, you know, like, not me, my dad wasn't that way, Now that's not me, so, but they, they realized, you know, why I love being in the military, you know, I tell a lot of people, you know, I did the private sector before I joined the military. I know how it is. You know, yeah, you're going to say, I can't wait to get out. I can't wait to get out. But, you know, when things like this happen, you know, the private sector might come visit you maybe two times a week. That's it. Never hear from them. I had friends from all over the world visit me, Korea, Italy, Germany, uh, Japan, all, every part of the U.S. I still have my Italian buddies, you know, my teammates come twice a year to visit me, you know. And my wife noticed that uh, because when she got called, uh, I always kind of prepped her. I told her, honey, if you get a phone call, you know, it's not too bad, but it's not good. But if you see one of my buddies or my commander walking up to the door, you know, I'm not with you anymore. I'm with my parents. Uh, So she knew, you know, when she got the phone call, something was up she got the phone call on December 5th, which was her birthday. So, uh, you know, that was a real nice happy birthday. <laughs> Doesn't let me forget it, you know. But, uh, but she was so thankful because, you know, at the time my wife went back. She didn't stay in Italy. You know, a lot of the wife went back to the States, so she wanted to go back with her family. Her family's from Mexico. So she went back there. You know, unfortunately, uh, her visa had run out so when she got the phone call, she told I it's like, you know, because we moved around so much, <coughs> her residency got lost. So by the time, you know, she got it, you know, we were somewhere else, so they had to try and ship it the other one, you know. You know how the government works. But, you know, I'm not talking about it. I love the government. I work for the government, you know. I, they still pay my check, you know. But uh, she'd let my commander know and my flow. Which was Chief Humphreys, great guy, great dude. Love that dude. Uh, they told him, you know, she's like, when's he get once he get into San Antonio, and she said, and they told her by December seventh he'll be in San Antonio. And she told him, I want to be there. What I got to do? Can you help? You know? And they did. But I arrived December seventh in the morning, and she was in the state by December afternoon. So in the matter of two days, they were able to you know, clear everything up, you know, tell him, hey, her husband, the military member got hurt in Afghanistan. He has, she has to be there with him. And she was. Uh, She got there, but unfortunately, you know, I was the type of guy that I want to take care of everything. I took care of the finances. You know, I just wanted to be, I just wanted my wife to look pretty and cook for me. And, you know, be my trophy wife, you know, just hang there in the mantel, you know. It's like, that's my wife there. But, uh, And I screwed up there because she, you know, they couldn't find our power attorney. They couldn't find the will, so my wife was screwed. She couldn't get into any of the finances. So again, that's where the Air Force stepped in, and that's where my friend stepped in. You know, never left her side. Uh, The flows, the family liaison officers were incredible. Uh, They, there, three times they called my wife, said, "You better get here because he's not going to live." All three times. Those the three flow, three main flows were Chief Humphreys, Chief Gonzalez, and Chief Page. All three times those guys were right there with her. Uh, they told her I was gonna I had a twenty thirty percent chance of living, but my wife knew me. She said, "He's gonna live." She's like, and they're like, "How do you know?" Because he's too stubborn. He ain't gonna die. <laughs> and I did, and I fought. Uh, when I finally did wake up, you know, I woke up and I'm like. Like, they're like, where are you? I'm like, Afghanistan. They're like, no, you're in San Antonio. It's like, you know what day it is? I'm like, December something. It's like, what year? 05. No, it's March 06. I'm like, oh crap. And, you know, it's just so weird. And they tell me when I woke up, like, DT, you know, uh, you know, at that time, of course, I had a trick. I couldn't talk. I had to read my lips. They're like, you may not you may not be able to walk again, and you might be stuck in this hospital for another year, year and a half. And, you know, I couldn't talk, so they read my lips, and I was like, you know, screw you, I'm going to get out of this ho ho <laughs> exact same word I told them. And by April, I was out of the ACU, the ICU, and by May, I was out of the hospital and walking. You know, you know, my entire motivation, you know, was was my little boy, you know, because my son couldn't see me, you know. He was only, at the time, three years old, and they don't even let until they're, like, 14 into the hospital. So I just wanted to see him, you know. Of course, my wife tried to play his uh, voice. I was like, no, no, I don't want to hear it, you know. It upset me. I just want to see him. So, you know, my son was part of my motivation, but also it was this one guy, Kevin, you know, I'm not gonna lie to you. You're gonna have, I, I had times that I was depressed. I was like, you know, you're talking to a guy that was, you know, 200 pounds of muscle, reduced to 120 pounds of skin and bone. So I kind of looked like an officer. You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Too, you know. Much love, much love. <laughs> don't don't touch General Mosley, please. <laughs> but uh, you know. You know, there, you know there's this guy, Kevin, and he had lost both of his legs, his arm. His fiance never came to see him. She left him, and he had no family. But this dude always was giggling, always was laughing. He was out there in the hallway. And when I was trying to learn how to walk again, he would try and trip me. And I'm like, you little bastard, you just wait till I start walking. I'm going to kick over that wheelchair, and then we're going to see who's laughing. <laughs> But, you know, I thought of this guy I was like, you know what, this guy has it so much worse than I do. But he's happy, he's cheery. You know, I was like, you know what, if that dude can do it, I can do it. And I did, you know, I pushed myself, pushed myself, you know, sometimes with some painful days, you know, it was, you know, not, it's crazy thinking, well, oh, after four months you don't know how to walk. I, I, I didn't believe it, you know, until I tried to take my first step and I was like, Grr. You know, they helped me up, it, it was just unreal. So I pushed, you know, a lot of times a lot of people ask me, DT, what was probably the, you know, best thing uh, you were able to do when you were able to do your own thing? It's like, dude, it was being able to wipe my own butt. That's the <laughs> best thing that was. Because when you're in the hospital, you your all modesty is gone. You know, everyone sees you naked. You know, you got people cleaning you. You're like a little baby which wasn't too bad. I'm like, mm, can I have a bottle too? But, uh, you know, so I used to mess with the nurses too. You know, the one day they came, gave me baths. I'm like, oh, that's a good spot there, rub it some more. Or, you know, they'll come in, I'll have my legs up and, you know, of course there's nothing underneath the gown. So, it's just like, TT, you're not right. <laughs> you, know, but, you know, like I said, tack peas were are just not right in the head. You know, we're out there. You know, you gotta be a little crazy, you know. Maybe it was my mom when she was smoking weed when I was a baby. I don't know. <laughs> uh, just kidding. But uh, you know, I got I got like I said, I got out in May. Uh and it was funny because a lot of my friends, you know, came to visit me and they're like calling me up and like, DT, do you remember when I came to visit you? I'm like, when would you come? January. I was like, dude, I don't remember crap from January, from December to March. If we showed up in March, we can talk. You could have, you know poked me in the head and I wouldn't even known. But, you know, there was one special person that did come visit me and, you know, I kind of, you know, get a little shorthand with people when I do hear them. They talk bad about them and it was the president. You know, when you're severely burned as I was, I was 80%. You know, they shred you. You know, like they skin you. They got to take all this bad skin off you. And you're laying in a room at 98 degrees. And anyone that comes to visit you has to be completely covered from head to toe. And when the president came, uh, this is what my family and a couple of friends told me. He stayed in my room for 20 or 30 minutes just sitting there talking to me. So, you know, I tell people, you know, you may not agree with the president's policies, uh, but don't ever accuse him of not caring for his guys because he does. Uh, he cares for us a lot. And, you know, so, and to this day, you know, I've still been trying to just go up to him and say, thank you. Thanks for being there. Hopefully the general can do you know, make that happen, you know. Little poke, you know, so come on. You know. But uh, you know, so like I said, you know, you may not agree with him, what he it's possible, but don't ever accuse him, not caring about his people, because he does, he really does. And that's my little soapbox, I'll get off that. But uh, uh but besides that, you know, like I said, a lot of friends came all over. And it was funny, you know, my wife tells me, it's like, you know, she, I asked her, like, you know, about my friends who came to visit me, you know, she's like, Isn't your career field mostly men? I'm like, Yeah. How come there are more women visiting you than guys? It's <laughs> like, honey, you know what you married, you know? You know Tag peas, good looking, you know, muscle bound, you know? No, I'm just kidding. But she did ask me that. You know? <laughs> there were a lot of fun. It's like, honey, they were before your time friends. That's it, friends. Uh, but, you know, when I got out, when I got out, in the hospital. They told me, hey, DT, we're gonna present you your Purple Heart. I'm like, cool, it's like, who's gonna do it? I'm thinking one of my old commanders, you know, but like, General Mosley. I'm like, who else is that dude? (laughs) And they're like, that's the Chief of Staff of the Air Force. I'm like, oh, don't tell them I said that. (laughs) You know, and they told me, I was like, DT, you know, you know, we know you can't walk that well, you know, it still hurts you to walk. You know, but if you can't, you know, well, we'll chair you down the, down the to the podium, and have someone help you up, and keep you up as you're getting pinned. I was like, the hell with that, dude. I was like, that's not gonna happen. I was like, I want to walk down that aisle, stand up right next to that general, you know, you know, turn to him, stand in perfect uh, attention, and have him pin me like a. True soldier should be pinned with honor and discipline. And I did. And that's what I did. It, it hurt, but I was going to do it. Uh, and that was probably the best feeling. Because, you know, I had friends. You know, it was a stadium uh, arena about this size. And it was packed from friends from Bragg that got in a C-130 and flew down. To A-10 guys that flew from DM to be there to friends that drove down from Washington, drove down from uh, Carson, Colorado, you know, even friends that had retired were there. That was awesome. And, you know, my wife loved it. She was like, I can understand why you love being in the military. And uh, from then, you know, I go to therapy every single day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, from 8 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon. And some of the times, it's some of the most painful pain i have have to go through, you know, getting stretched again, you know, because when you burn, your skin contracts. So they got to stretch that skin, and it hurts, you know, your joints hurt, you know. Long time, I couldn't even, you know, ride a bike. All I could do was just push the pedal at one foot at a time to, you know, to now being able to pedal. And and I just push myself, because I have to, you know. I have a little, little, little boy. You know, I, I don't want him to see his dad as someone that failed, you know. My dad didn't make me, didn't raise me that way and I'm not going to raise my son that way. So, you know, I push myself every single day. And it may it may suck, but I have to. You know, I'm at 96 surgeries right now, no matter of two and a half years. And, you know, and I'll go through 96 more if I have to, to get to the point where I want to be. You know, because I do want to stay in. Uh, General Mosley knows that. Uh, Chief McKinley knows that. You know, I I know I may not be an operator, you know, unless we become like Star Wars and I get those cool Luke Skywalker hands, you know. That's not going to happen. So I can be a trainer. I can, you know, my mind's still there. I may be a little nuts, but, you know, my mind's still there. I can still train. So if I can do that, that's cool. And the Air Force is letting me do that. They're, they're letting me to get all my surgeries done to the, Give me the best chance that I want to you know, so I can stay in. And in the meantime, you know, when I got given my purple heart, General Mosley asked me, DT, uh, will you go speak to airmen about you know what's happening to you? I'm like. I like, What are you talking about, sir? Like it's like you don't talk about your experience. Like, sir, I'm just a regular airman, you know, just like any other guy. It's like, no, you're not D. T. It's like I'm like, why, sir? I was like, they gave you a 20, percent chance of living. They told your wife three times you're going to die. They told you you're going to be stuck in the hospital for a year, year and a half. They told you, you weren't right, they may not be able to walk again. They told you you were going to have to be wheeled down and giving your Purple Heart in a wheelchair. And where you're at now, you're standing right in front of me, out of the hospital and walking. And if that's not a story to tell, then I, know, I don't know what is. And I was like... All right, sir, I, I, guess, I guess I can do that for you. You know, you kind of outrank me, so whatever you say, dude. I'm all over that, sir. So I do, I do that, you know. My first, my first speaking engagement was uh, when Chief Gonzalez, well, at the time when I got hurt, he was a senior master sergeant in Gonzalez. He wanted me to pin him. And afterwards, you know, do, you know speak in front of his uh, airmen. And I told him, you want me to hit you when I pin you? He's like, yeah, you know, he must have thought, you know, DT's all, his all hurt, he can't hit, he can't punch. Well, I give him the old elbow <laughs> and knocked him into almost general P. <laughs> but after that, you know, it was. It started out with just 20, 20 people and it seems like my crowd keeps getting bigger and bigger. I'm like, dude, and people ask me, he's like, DT, do you get nervous? It's like, man, I just picture everyone naked in front of me so that gets me better. <laughs> So right now you're naked in front of my eyes right now. (laughs) Ah, I I see the thong back there. I got (laughs) you. But uh, uh, but you know I do this. You know, you know if my story's able to help, you know, an airman if he has to go through what I went through or a soldier, marine, I do it. You know, besides therapy and besides speaking, you know, I'll go visit the burn ward, and I tell guys, it's like, dude, I was there. Once before, I was there hurting, you know. And I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, it sucks. It's not gonna suck? It's like you know, you used to be able to run, and now you're stuck in a bed and can't even take care of yourself. But you'll you'll pull through, you know. I did, and you can. And uh, <coughs> so that's what I do, you know. And in the meantime, you know, I've done this, and I don't do it for any rewards. I don't do it for any. Glory, that's just not me, you know. There's other people can tell you war stories and bat- gun battles, but that's just not me, you know. I have done my job, and I, I'll do it again if I have to, and uh. And sometimes you kind of do get rewarded, you know. There's a story I like to tell is uh. You know, one of my biggest fears like I was gonna get medically discharged and never get to have made E6, you know, I never got I was gonna be able to get to test. So, uh, and General Mosley knew this, and a lot of other people knew this. Well, there's this one day, uh, Chief Page, the command chief up at Randolph, and uh, General Looney, they tell me, DT, you gotta get in your blues. We're gonna recognize uh, Sergeant Hudson. She was another uh, sergeant that helped my wife a lot. We're gonna give her this award for what she did. I'm like, man, I hate wearing my blues, dude. I wanna wear my blues. They're like, you have to. I was like. You just wait. i want to tell General Mosley. I got his number. And they're like, go ahead, call him. So I was like, fine, I wear my blues. Well, you know, they get me my blues. They get me to, uh, to, uh, up to Randolph, up in the Taj. And they're saying, Olga's not here. Well, Olga was really General Mosley code name. So they kept saying, Olga's not here, Olga's not here. I was like, I'm going to kill Olga. Yeah. And I'm in my blues, and I'm sitting here waiting for her so I'm going to kill her so they're like finally said oh Olga's here I'm like oh great so I walk into the conference room and I see General Mosley and I'm like oh you know he's probably here to you know you know give Olga her gift and uh, and I go up to him and I give him a hug and say hey sir how you doing and he holds me to, on side and says and turns me DT I got a surprise for you and you know, I'm thinking okay what you guys do and I was like Did you give me a plaque or something what and he, all of a sudden, I see this master sergeant in his blues with text stripes, and I'm just speechless. And all the, you know, Chief Humphrey, Chief Page, all these friends of mine there are just laughing because I was pretty good at sniffing things out, and I didn't know that. Well, they kind of couldn't let it out because Jerry Mosley put down the fear of God if I found out. Because, you know, technically I was... Uh, uh, promoted January 29th, but General Mosley wanted to do it himself, and he wasn't going to be able to get there till the 22nd of February. So he told everyone, if DT found out, heads are going to roll. So they kept it tight, and I, I gave them props. I'm like, man, you guys kept it pretty quiet, man, because I know anything. So, you know, I see these tribes, I'm like, and I just want to jump on General Mosley and give him a big old monkey hug. But I didn't. I resisted. I was like, that might not be professional, but I really want to do it. So I just, like, thanks, sir. And I'm not just speechless. And everyone's just laughing. And I'm like, wow, I just got step-promoted. And he's like, no, you didn't. And I'm like, okay, I didn't test. I was like, how else did I get step-promoted? It's like, the only thing that I remember, the only last thing is field promotion. She's like, yep. I was like, are you talking about when... When in World War II, when guys were dying, like, boom, you're a lieutenant. It's like, yeah. Then, sir, why'd you stop at Tech Sergeant? I could have been a great colonel. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm perfect for that colonel. I was like, I'm kind of getting to, you know, getting the belly, you know, I'll be a great colonel. I'm <sighs> just kidding. <laughs> but, no, but, you know, it was pretty cool because I, I kept asking other people around, it's like, has that ever happened? They're like, no, I never heard of it. I was like, Cool. I'm gonna be a PFE question one day. (laughs) So, any any people out there in the Air Force, remember Sergeant Del Toro? I might be a PFE question. So, uh, that was probably my best surprise. Uh, uh, You know, a lot of people ask me, uh, "Did you ever wish you died?" And I never did. Uh, Not even when I woke up. Not even when I wasn't able to, you know, move my arms. Not even when I was able to walk. You know, I never wished for that. Uh, there was one time though, and it was uh, the first time I saw my face. Uh, when you're severely burned, they they try and hide your face from you. They want you to ease into it. And it was it was sometime in April of 06 when uh, they were taking me to the bathroom. Uh, I don't know if it was my wife or my the, my therapist, uh, and one of them fell and I saw my face, and and I broke down. And it wasn't for vanity or anything like that. It was because of that little three-year-old. I was like, my God, if if I thought I was a monster, what's that little three-year-old thinking? And, you know, I, I broke down, and I did. I wish I would died. I told him, God, why don't you guys just pull out the IVs? Let me die. If I look like that, my son's going to be scared. Because, you know, that's every man's biggest fear is just something afraid of him. So, uh, uh, my therapist, you know, you know, it seems like every every angel God has his, uh his Rosie. his his therapist that takes care of him from day one. And and uh, Gary was my Rosie. And uh, and he sat there next to me and, and cried. And he says, man, DT, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for letting you see your face. It's like, trust me, your son's going to love you. He's going to not be afraid of you. And, uh, and the day when I finally saw my son, I was terrified. I was like, please don't let him run away from me. And uh, he came right up to me, gave me a hug. <laughs> and that was p- the best feeling I ever had. Uh, even better when he was born, I was like, sweet, my son loves me. I can still teach him to be a pimp. <laughs> <can't> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, uh, that, that was it was great, you know. That was the best feeling. And... Uh, and like I said, that's my entire motivation. And that's what I do. I push on every single day. And before I leave you guys, so you can ask you a question, you know, I'm a big sports fanatic. I've always been, you know. Uh, I've collected baseball cards when I was a little kid. I got Mickey Mandel's autograph, Ted Williams, you know. And there's a a saying that I found. I'm not going to tell you who said it. I kind of rearranged it in my words to help me out. And It, it goes something like this. It's uh, a lot of you out there might think I've gotten a bad break, but I have honored to have worked with some of the greatest men out there. I have a wife that is a pillar of my strength, a son that is the spirit of my life. And yeah, I might have gotten a bad break, but I still got a lot to live for. Thank you.